Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast. Hello there from self-isolation in Bedford. How are you all? Strange times we're living in, aren't we? Anyway, welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I have an interview with Giacomo Zucco, who is currently under lockdown in Italy, and we discuss centralised planning in times of a crisis. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors. And first up today, we have Cointracker. And last night, I recorded a very short bonus show with their CEO, Chandan. I've been getting a bit of flack recently, people saying to me, why are you supporting a tax company? Tax is evil. Why are you... Why are you helping the man? Well, look, there is a reality around tax, which I discussed with Chandan, where exchanges are being subpoenaed and people are receiving letters. And if you don't pay your tax, there are risks. So listen, you can pay your tax if you want. You can not pay your tax if you want. But if you do want to pay your tax, then Cointracker is a company that I would definitely recommend because I used them this year to do my tax calculation. But that show will be out on Sunday. It's just a little 30-minute show talking about the risks associated with tax and how they can help. I don't allow people to pay to be on the show, but I did think with the response to this, I would do a little short one with Chandan. I did something similar with Zach from Blockfly when people were critical of that. But listen, if you do want to find an easier way of calculating your taxes, then definitely check out Cointracker. They've got a discount for listeners of this show at cointracker.io forward slash A forward slash WBD. And it is free for users with 200 or fewer transactions. Find out more, head over to cointracker.io, which is C-O-I-N. T-R-A-C-K-E-R dot I-O. Also, my new sponsor, Sat Street, has officially launched. Have you checked out Sat Street yet? It is the easiest way to send Bitcoin to anyone you know. With Sat Street, you can gift Bitcoin to your friends via email. And not only that, they give you ways to earn Bitcoin by bringing together all the top referral programs in the industry in one place. Sat Street will also reward you for every person you invite that earns Bitcoin. So newcomers get to learn about Bitcoin and earn Sats. And you also get to earn stats at the same time by growing the network. Very cool. Definitely go check it out. It's available at satstreet.com, which is S-A-T-S-T-R-E-E-T.com. Also, you might have recently heard some ads that I've had for Consensus. Well, due to COVID-19, Consensus and Blockchain Week, New York City has now been changed to a completely virtual event. If you purchase a ticket to Consensus 2020, they will be issuing refunds. I'm gutted. I was looking forward to getting out to New York. Really, really sad about this. But they were going to run this event virtually and bring together to educate, grow and create meaningful connections still. They're going to move forward with a packed agenda, which includes Bitcoin industry leaders and specialist guests. So anyone interested in attending this virtual event, you can register for free and find out more at consensus2020.com, which is C-O-N-S-E-N-S-U-S-2020.com. Before we get into the show, have you checked out my first film? It is now available on the Defiance TV YouTube page. You can access that from the homepage of either of my websites, defiance.news or whatbitcoindid.com. I'm in Colombia. I'm looking at the Venezuelan crisis, but I'm meeting expats in Bogota and I headed to Cucuta, the border with Venezuela. Very interesting. Definitely go and check that out. Please share it out with your friends and family. Filmmaking is the thing I really want to focus on this year. So any help you can give, that is great. Okay, so on to the show, and this one is a little bit different. I've got Giacomo Zucco on, who is now in lockdown in Italy, and Italy is right at the centre of this COVID-19 pandemic, and is now the second worst affected country in the world, behind China. 
And about a week ago, the government took the drastic step of putting the whole country into lockdown and forcing everyone to self-isolate. When I heard of this, I thought of my friend Giacomo. I did reach out to him and ask how he is. You know, he let me know how things are. And I said, you know what, let's make a show about it. Let's talk about this. You can tell everyone what's going on. And we can also get into the debate about centralized planning. So many of you will know Giacomo. He's a massive Bitcoin. He's very anti-state. So we get into the central planning, the government's reaction to the virus and whether centralized power is the best way of dealing with a crisis. We definitely didn't agree. I've learned a lot from Giacomo and I do appreciate some of his thoughts, but at the same time, I do wonder, well, without centralized planning on this scenario alone, would the virus spread worse? Do we need some kind of centralized uh, enforcement? But is that an infringement on our civil liberties and freedom? And what does that all mean? That's quite a complicated thing. But Giacomo was a good person to talk to about with this. He thinks I'm a statist and he's probably right. I probably am a statist. On the status spectrum, I think I'm heading towards libertarianism, but yeah, I am still a little bit in the area where I feel like perhaps in certain situations we, we need some kind of centralized coordination. I'll probably get a load of shit for this, but you know that's where my thinking is at the moment. Got any questions about this show, do reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. I'm currently on lockdown myself. I've been sick for nine days. I've got no idea I've got the virus as the government won't test me. Very strange times we're living in right now. So listen, be safe out there. Love you all. Hope everyone is well. And yeah, take care. If you've got any questions, you want to talk to me, just reach out to me, social media, reach out to me via my website, or just drop me an email at hello at whatbitcoindid.com. How are you? How are things? Yeah, everything's kind of fine. Uh, we are starting to feel it a little bit, but uh, we are privileged because we are nerds, so we don't get out a lot anyway. So the difference <laughs> is not, I mean, I imagine for other people is uh, is way harder. So if you weren't watching the news, you wouldn't even know anything's going on. Yeah, actually, yeah. No, the difference is that I travel once a month, so I see the world once a month. Uh, that's the only... See it once a month. Well, listen, I don't even know which show I'm going to put this on, whether it's a Defiance show or, or a Bitcoin show, but I think if it goes out in Defiance, maybe not as many people who listen will, will know of you. And we're not making a show here today about medical advice. You're not a doctor. Exactly. But you are someone who is... I don't want to say politically motivated, but you have a history in politics and you have strong opinions on politics and structures of governments and government uh, governance systems. Would that be a, a fair place to say where it's coming from? Yeah, I think my, my main issues uh, about all these were are ethical and in that case, yes, political. And, and my background is basically that. And also, I really like uh, logics and statistics. And my, one of my strong issues about all of these is actually statistics. So I'm not a statistician, uh, statisticians, but I, I know how to use a bias theorem. So I, I think I know that uh, at least as good as many um, epidemiologists. So I use that for other reasons. And I think I can talk about statistics pretty, pretty uh, let's say, uh, reliably confidently yeah exactly okay so you're in i'm not even gonna say the lockdown region now because originally it was lombardy they locked down but very quickly what within two days they locked down the whole country yeah exactly so what are the rules now the rules are basically uh you cannot go out of your house uh if you do you may be stopped and if you're stopped you have to provide the reason you are out there are a few possible reasons. It's very confused and very ambiguous. 
but a, a rationalization of this mess that is the act would be that you can go to a supermarket to uh, buy food or first necessity goods, assuming that the place you're going to buy them are the closest possible to your home. So if they find you far from your home and you are not uh, in the closest supermarket, you can't. And uh, you have to pro uh, buy medical services, basically, so pharmacy, uh, mostly. And you can go to work if your employer proves that they cannot use uh, smart working with you and your uh, the operation of your company is uh, some fundamental service. So if you are a doctor or a nurse, of course, but even if you are a technician that is needed in an hospital or public transportation or something which is... Uh, uh, which is essential service, then you prove that you work there and you could not work home and then you can work. Of course, this is Italy. So uh, this is not just ambiguous and very, very ill-formulated and confusing, but it's also not enforceable in a proper way because there are not enough cops and, and, and soldiers to really enforce that. So it's random and spot as always. It's like uh, they find a homeless guy in Milan yesterday, they arrested uh, a few old people in the in the park that were basically alone on a bench on the park. And uh, mostly the people that they are finding and arresting are black market uh, workers, people that are going to work, uh, but they don't have a regular contract because they're working in, uh, in black. They are working without taxation and without any kind of uh, legal contract. And so they are trying to keep working to survive. Uh, because they will not receive any kind of government-like uh, compensation or or uh, social insurance. So they have to go to work to, in order to survive, and they cannot prove they are working. And this is actually half of the economy in Italy, more than half in southern Italy, and a little bit less than half in northern Italy. Wow. Okay. And in terms of the spread of coronavirus within Italy, Lombardy was the region with the most uh, severe outbreak, but is it in all regions of Italy right now? We don't know if Lombardy, this is one of the issues I'm, I'm taking with the discussion about this. We don't know okay. if Lombardy is the region with the most severe outbreak. What we know is that at the beginning, uh, a false, uh, a false uh, clue so this is a story about a guy meeting with a Chinese uh, guy, which is, was uh, at the end not true and not, not confirmed, basically uh, pushed a doctor to try to uh, test for, uh, for this uh, COVID-19 one guy in Codogno. And from there, they tested this guy, it was positive, other guys in contact with him were positive. Then they started to test people getting to the hospitals with severe breathing problems and severe basically respiratory problems. And all these people were infected. But what we know is that there are a lot of tests took in Lombardy. And in this test, there is a measure, of course, of positive case because other, other places, they, have ju they just haven't been tested at all. Uh, what we know from sequ uh, genetic sequencing of the virus in Codogno is that is most likely a third generation mutation uh, from the animal human leap, which is not coming from China probably is coming from Iran and probably is in Italy already since uh, last October, if not even before. So we know that there is the virus in Italy. Uh, what we don't know if there is the virus, especially in Italy, we know that there is the virus in Lombardy and we don't know if there is the virus, especially in Lombardy. So a lot of assumptions are, are, are being done, mostly because because politicians, they don't know about logics and mathematics and statistics. And of course, doctors, they 
they tell the truth, they say what they see, and what they see is uh, the medical system in Lombardy collapsing, uh, which is not the first time that it happens. Um, the, the, the medical system about intensive care in Lombardy collapsed at least uh, uh, four times. I was recovering yesterday the newspaper had titles, uh, like we, we are out of places in medical care and we are starting to apply in triage. That sentence uh, appeared on a newspaper in 2008, 2013 and 2016 during the winter for especially severe uh, outburst of uh, or respiratory illness. So that happens because Lombardy is better than UK about intensive care units, but uh, not as good as Germany, for example. And it's very, very easy to overload. They, they work basically at capacity already. And when there is an overload, there is an overload. So uh, the, the problem in the hospital is real. And now there are some, there is a, pos a strong possibility that people will have a serious health problem because even for unrelated staff, which is completely related with coronavirus, if they need intensive care and intensive care is full, it's not there. It's not really at capacity, but it's almost as, as capacity in many hospitals. I have a few friends directly working in hospitals and they can confirm this story. Basically, they say that the, the load is, uh, is around uh, ha uh, the double of the normal load of uh, last year, this winter, and the, 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 the capacity was not there. Plus, all the measures that they have to apply in order to insulate the possible very highly infected patients reduce even more, or the I mean, the, they increase the friction, the, the slow uh, turns for uh, for nurses. So it's not the same if you have to cure 100 people in intensive care without infection precautions or with in infection precautions. So that's why even if you had to double the, the number of intensive care requiring people last year, it will not be the same this year but it would be more serious. Of course, together with the insider information that I get, I get also a lot of, uh, you know, it's human psychology, psychology. I get a lot of fake news. For example, my brother, he works in an hospital and uh, he said to me two days ago, look, Giacomo, this is very serious. Uh, one, uh, one uh, nurse of 30 years old without any pre-existing condition just died in Hospital Sarafaele. And the, the day after I said, look, I don't, I don't find any news. How is that possible? Uh, and he said, okay, I asked it to my contact there. They are keeping it secret. Uh, so I asked it, please give me the, the name of your contact. I want to ask them the name. Uh, how, they, how can they keep it secret? You just need an, a foreign journalist just asking. And this is not something, I mean, you can have the relatives. This is not something they can keep secret anymore. After three or four layers of, uh, please let me ask, actually after three layers, the last one said, no, it was not really Sarafaele, it was Galeazzi, and my, the boss of my friend here said that. And so this, basically, we don't have any trace of this, that 30-year-old uh, guy. I really hope he's not in some uh, dungeon of the government, but I don't think it's possible to keep something like that hidden. And that's a case of a fake news spreading among uh, medical doctors. So it's clear that they are really in panic. They are really uh, facing a strong overwhelming uh, situation, so they are not making it up, but it's not at all clear that anybody has a real, uh, a real frame of what's, uh, what's actually happening, which is also clear from the fatality rate, uh, uh, the naive fatality rate that you can make in Italy, which is for some reason four or five times higher than the fatality rate, which, which is actually registered in scientific studies, which doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, in, in South Korea, 
you basically have 0.7% uh, of fatality rate. So fatality rate is not mortality rate. Mortality rate is how, uh, how many chances do you have to die of this. Fatality rate is uh, how many chances do you have to, de to die of this if you know 100% that you are already infected. So it's, it's, a, it's a lower number. And fatality rate in, in South Korea is 0.7. And they did an actual scientific study. So they tested people around the country with some kind of uh, stochastic, uh, stochastic selection. And this is the result. Now, in Italy, if you just take the number of positive tested people uh, and you take the number of uh, positive tested people who died and you divide it for the number of positive tested people, you get numbers like 5%, 6%, depending on the day. So it's, it's, like, uh, it's like here, the same virus is uh, mysteriously becoming super deadly. Actually, the, the, the chances are that, uh, that this, this number are completely uh, unreliable because uh, the tests have not been done on the general population. They have been done basically on two criteria. One criteria is people with serious uh, respiratory problems coming into the, uh, the, the hospital. So already critical patients where, of course, the, the critical rate is higher and the, death rate, the, the fatality rate is higher. And the second bias that this generated is that they tested some people in strict contact with people that was already known to be infected. So they confirmed some kind of contagion path that proved to be completely unreliable because, yeah, for example, the first patient in, in Europe was not in Italy, was in Germany, the first known patient. So this narrative that China, Italy, it's, I mean, we don't really know. Well, yeah. I mean, I've been really ill this last week and they won't test me. Um, so I came back from Turkey, which doesn't have or didn't until recently have any uh, cases of coronavirus. Uh, but I had been in South America. I had been in San Francisco, Vegas. I'd come back through Heathrow. I'd then traveled through Heathrow to Turkey. I'd been to the Greek border and I'd been mixing with migrants from Iran, Africa and various places. Now, a number of those people might have already been in Turkey. So the Iranians, I don't want to say, oh, because coronavirus is uh, quite widespread in Iran, that, that those people had it. But I'd been to enough through enough airports and enough situations that I felt like with my symptoms, I should have perhaps been tested. I certainly had a very high fever. I ached all over, slightly short of breath, but I can't, I'm not sure if I'm short of breath or this anxiety that is causing me to be short of breath, if you know what I mean. But, sure, sure. But in the UK, they would only test me if I'd been to one of the primary outbreak locations of Asia, Iran, or Italy, or if I'd been in contact with someone who was a confirmed case. So they refused to test test me, and now they're stopping the testing. In the UK, their kind of view is that it's already here. The testing and confirmations of cases actually doesn't give you any useful number to work with it actually gives you a lot of false negatives so uh, yeah so i might actually have it i've got no idea I, I i think it's definitely the worst flu i've ever had so i, I give you another anecdotal uh, story in uh, in december my mother-in-law started to have a very severe it was december a very severe dry cough and respiratory problems and uh, high fever, and she wasn't able to leave her home. She is uh, 83 and uh, cardio cardiopathic with uh, strong uh, heart uh, diseases. So basically, if uh, luckily she recovered and now she's well, 
but the doctors, the family doctors, didn't tell her, let's go to intensive care. They just told her, stay home. Nobody tested her for anything. They gave her an antibiotic. It didn't work. They, tell, they told her to wait in Milan. And then she recovered after three weeks of serious fever. So we, uh, we took all the precaution. We, we kept her separated from the baby and so on. But basically what happened is that she probably had something very similar. But if it was happening now, maybe she would be in intensive care. Because now how would the, 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 the first intervention react to that kind of symptoms? They would probably send her to some hospital. Instead, if it was a... Uh, just died in December, she would be ruled out as 83 years old woman with uh, severe heart uh, diseases, dies for complication and we don't know. So the thing is that really, as you said, we don't know, uh, which is, there is this fake, there is this strawman argument that if you say this, you are minimizing, you are underestimating, you are trying to say that it's just a flu and everything, okay, that's not the point. This is to say that we really don't know. So you cannot just try to to to, to pacify your yourself with uh, some random strong opinion uh, about uh, a global police state or uh, or nuking down cities because you know that coronavirus is there and is and it will kill everybody and so you have to to just nuke the the, the China or UK or whatever. We really don't know. We have a very few. What we do have, as I told you before, is South Korea, where there is some kind of statistical study. Then we have the, the cruises, like Diamond Princess is kind of a random example because it was random people on a cruise and they tested everybody on the cruise several times. So in that case, you have, you have a reliable statistics. Of course, it's a very small uh, sample, so it's not that reliable. Also, the, uh, it's, it's higher than South Korea. It's like 1%. There, uh, it's older people because uh, there were no children on a cruise. They're mostly old people, but also healthy people because you don't go on a cruise if you are already sick. So it's, it's, it's not a very reliable stuff. But South Korea is a very good example of reliable statistics. But what kind of conclusions is this, or what kind of things is this making you think about specifically? Is it an overreaction by the government, or is it that... You know, they should have a reaction from the government, but we just need better information. Like, what kind of thought processes are you going through with this information? Yeah, I think it's a mediatic and political short circuit, which is not really in only in the overreaction sense. Uh, it's actually a pendulum switching from severe underreaction to severe overreaction. So at the beginning of this mess, what happened was not overreaction, was actually political organization, including the World Health Organization, which is a political organization, not a scientific one. They told everybody this was nothing, this was just a flu. And the Chinese government, in order to avoid panic, uh, went to, to, to great lengths in order to imprison people, including medical doctors, talking about the virus. So personally, for the reason, for the statistical reason that I told you before, I am not even convinced that, the, that we can say uh, for sure that the virus, virus originated in Wuhan. Because think about that. This is called bias theorem. Think about a global pandemic, which is already widespread. What is the probability that you find this virus in the most specialized coronavirus research center in the world, which is situated in an overpopulated city in China, which is the most connected city in China. So if the virus is already everywhere, where is the higher probability to find the virus? The answer is probably Wuhan. 
and, and now we know that exposed. So uh, the, the, the virus was discovered there, but it's not sure that it was born there. It's possible, but not sure. So the government initially, the Chinese government, decided to uh, imprison people. And, and I would say, I mean, I can say this on your podcast because uh, worst case scenario, the Chinese police will come to take you. Uh, they, they, can, they cannot <laughs> enter here because I'm quarantined. I think they most likely killed those people because, you know, the, the doctor, there was the case of the doctor uh, spreading the information about that. And uh, he was he was killed by coronavirus very, very quickly without any picture of medical information. Then you have an influ- a social media influencer, a girl, that made this very, very weird video of her talking to the camera like the, the, the party is in complete control, everything is fine, I feel fine. And then she was dead of coronavirus the, the second day. So they were imprisoning for sure possibly uh, blackmailing or, or, or torturing and maybe killing people spreading the information. And in the West, they were, uh, they were minimizing, calling fake news, any kind of people in panic. So the first reaction is actually minimization. Then when the, in Italy, it was very funny because the, um, the, the president of the Democratic Party, which is the former Communist Party in Italy, uh, he organized this aperitivo in Milan, this spritz, to prove that it was nothing, so it's just the flu. So he organized a lot of aperitivo with uh, with this uh, with a lot of advertising, and then he got sick, and now he's positive to the virus, which is which is completely absurd. But uh, the the, the political the political the first political input is minimized. Then they realized that they minimized, and so instead of getting back to a more balanced situation. They do the other the other way around. They, they they feel accountable to the public opinion. So okay, we now look like morons because we minimize. So now we have to 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 show you that we are in control. And to show you that we are in control, what you have to do? You have to uh, to take extreme measures. You have to exercise control. You have to uh, to send policemen to stop people. You have to do something because if you don't do something, people will ask, "What are you doing?" And the second thing that you have to to to, to do in order to appear in control is to create a simpler narrative. So a virus which is already everywhere is a complex narrative. You don't want that. You want a virus which is exactly in this city of Codonio. You don't know how the hell is, but, it, but it's there. And if I stop the city, I can prevent it from there going there. And I have a simple narrative of something that I can stop or something that we can all stop if we just stay home or do this or do that. So you believe this is all narrative-based? This is all about government reputation? Uh, well, or do you think it's a little bit more complicated than that, but but it's kind of like a, a cross between there is a need to have some reaction, but usually it's the wrong reaction at the wrong time? Yeah, the, the, the late the latter. I think that this is not all about narrative. I, I think that most of the things we are seeing seeing now are narrative in the context. So what is the context? Uh, now, I, I will give you some numbers that people often uh, get mad about because uh, it's like you are trying to move the goalpost or change argument. But these are, are just to give a context. We are in a context in which, so far, if you take uh, at, uh, a few days ago the, the average number of people killed by coronavirus or kill or death with coronavirus, which is another thing. So if you if you die for a car accident that you have coronavirus, you are still counted on these. It was like uh, 56. Now it's probably 70 something today. This uh, this statistic were three days ago. Now it's probably 70. This is the average people death. So the number of people divided. For uh, for uh, for all the time uh, passed in 2020. So yellow fever, 
which is something already know, is 82. Uh, rabies is uh, 162. Measles, 247. Meningitis, 329. Cholera, 392. And so on and so on. And I can go to the seasonal flu, which is 127. Malaria is two, uh, 2002 every year. Uh, HIV, ADS, still, I mean, it's an old narrative. Like we were all scared about HIV and ADS in the 90s. But now it's still there and it kills 2,110 people every year. Pneumonia, hepatitis B, and tuberculosis kills 3,014 people every year uh, statistically. Of course, there are like uh, 4,500 people uh, who die yearly for car accident or uh, 5,000 suicides or 5,300 uh, 5, diabetes people uh, dying for diabetes, mostly by following the WHO guidelines about food, but this is another topic. So in this context, uh, it's not that coronavirus is nothing. It's something. And it's something that you have to keep into a specific context. Now, if I say this, the, 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 the Silicon Valley type will, uh, will, uh, will freak out and say, you don't understand exponential because you are not a Silicon Valley startup, so you don't understand uh, exponential growth. So yes, this is just 80 now against uh, uh, 3,000 3, of uh, tuberculosis, but what if it's, it's exponential and it grows and grows and grows? Which is true, but the point is that in no single disease, I mean, all these diseases are exponential infection. The point is that the disease is not a pure exponential forever. It's a Gaussian, and a Gaussian starts as an exponential, and then it goes down, and you just want to understand where to fit it. So I will not say that, that this is not an emergency, but this is an emergency that you really have to, to see and to watch in the context of other emergencies uh, with all the difference. For example, I will treat this uh, emergency more seriously than, uh, than tuberculosis. Why? Well, for two reasons. First, tuberculosis is not first outbreak. So we know her, we know tuberculosis, we know how it behaves. So we can think that even if it's tragic and it kills way, way more people than coronavirus, COVID-19, we know it so we can somehow predict it. Why this is an no unknown unknown, like it's a, like a black swan, we don't know about this new virus. Maybe it is the zombie apocalypse that will destroy her. We don't know. And when you don't know, you are more cautious than usual. But that's the same with any other major outbreak of new viruses or, or new families of viruses every year. The same was with SARS, the same was with MERS, the same was with flu, uh, of um, uh, aviary flu. Every, every kind of, uh, of new infection, it will be exponen exponential growth just like the other, but you don't know where the Gaussian is going to stop because we don't know the absolute number because you don't know spreading rate and mortality rate. So if you don't know, you are more cautious than usual. This is a completely rational reaction um, because uh, it's what Nassim Taleb is, Taleb is explaining with asymmetric risk uh, and asymmetric uh, decision metrics. Uh, the outcome in which you are wrong because you are taking too many precautions is not as bad 
as the outcome if, in which you are wrong because you are taking too few precautions. So since, uh, since January, when we, we first heard about this, as a personal reaction, me and Mir, we started to using masks, using gloves in the airport, uh, limiting contact, especially with the, with the hair parents that are older. Uh, I mean, taking care of uh, distancing, avoiding public places. So doing this is not uh, crazy or paranoid or excessive. It's healthy because when there is something new, you react uh, with an over-precautious way, which is completely normal. While uh, screaming to the sky that you want the the, the, the military to, to segregate everybody in their home, uh, wielding the doors like in China. I mean, in Italy, really, you can, you can uh, if you read on social networks in Italy, uh, most of the people I know, and I should have a selection bias about libertarian people, and most of the people I can read about, they are actually asking the government, please, you are too democratic, you should be more like China, why aren't you uh, stealing me inside my apartment, why are, aren't you wielding my door? They are desperate for a narrative of control. So the emergency is real, in the context of many, many, many real emergencies, different real emergencies, and it's rational to react to the emergency in a cautious way, but it's completely irrational to think that this is something uh, outside the, the history, outside the world, uh, which, which should take priority over anything else, including ethics and freedom and human rights and other, other diseases, for example. Well, let's come back to that because looking at the stats, there's a website I've been using since the very start, worldometers.info. It's been very good at providing the stats and I'm on the Italy page now and it certainly looks like in terms of cases and the death rate, you know, we have got the uptick on the curve and, you know, you talked about, was it SARS and, and MERS? It seems like Italy alone is already ahead in numbers of those two diseases as, as well uh, and like the the jumps in the number of deaths do seem quite alarming in Italy, and it does feel like that you know without any action, you know you could have been at maybe three, four, five hundred, a thousand potentially a day of deaths. Does that not? Do you not well, even look at that and have some concerns? So I am looking at the same website since the beginning. Actually, I was looking at that in December already because uh, the, the strange thing it's is that website, in my, right? yeah, in my family, I am the over paranoid because I always overestimate the, the far risk. And when everybody starts to freak out, I become the skeptic one. So I was looking at this website in December already. Mir was looking at that every day in January. And it's a great website. It's, it can be unintentionally a bit misleading because it gives a lot of importance to new cases, new positive cases. New positive cases is a completely uh, unreliable number because it only tells you a, a severe underestimation of cases. So those are only the positive tested people. And as you said, this test has a very strong uh, tendency to false negative. So one every two tests results negative, but is actually positive. So, uh, the, the, and many people are not tested at all. Basically, nobody is tested. In Italy, uh, people, as, as I told you, are just tested if they are inside uh, an hospital or if they are strongly connected with some kind of epidemiological assumption. So uh, the number of new cases discovered is, is behaving like it's an exponential, but it's not an exponential of the infection. It is an exponential of the testing capability or the testing uh, will 
of a specific institution. The number of deaths, though, is that is a little bit more realistic. So if you look at that, there is no there is no messing around very much. There is some messing around for the reason that, uh, as I told you, for example, in China there was a building falling down over the head of quarantine people. Six people died. They were all positive. Yeah. No, no of that. None of them was critics, but they are all counted inside the coronavirus that of course because there is not a, a, an easy way to filter that out assuming that most of the people in uh, intensive care were very old with pre-existing condition some of those people were terminally ill with cancer and stuff like that so all the people dying with coronavirus are counted but that said the point is that uh, and of course this category will grow with tests as well, because if you assume that you have uh, this number of people dying for cancer every 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 day, then if you increase the testing, you will have more people positive to the testing dying of cancer. So this number will increase uh, together with the increase in testing. So this is not an indication of uh, how the virus is going. This is an indication of how the testing is going. And it's only a proxy of the virus if uh, the testing is statistically averaged out, which is absolutely not, uh, not in Italy anywhere, uh, anyway, Some, somewhere else. Maybe in Germany, they are starting some uh, random testing, but, but we still don't know. So the number of that is better as a proxy of reality, but you really have to put it in, in context because, for example, what I didn't know before trying to make sense of this figure is was how many people are dying in Italy for the same kind of uh, respiratory complication that this virus is also uh, taking, making worse. And, and that's a very, very huge number. So uh, we should look at this number, but we should not extract a lot of narrative from these numbers until, until we get the context of this. Uh, what is very, very, very uh, reliable, again, is uh, everywhere you find the scientific test over the population, where you, you take the population in a place, you, you, you randomly uh, test for the virus, and then you randomly check for the death. And better, even better, if you manage to exclude all the, death, all the causalities that are clearly not caused by the infection, by the respiratory infection, then you have a reliable number. So what you're seeing in this, in this website are uh, exponentials. But we don't know, A, uh, what is this? I mean, we know that this exponential is the testing exponential. And the, the death exponential, we know that that's closer to reality, but we don't know where it's going to stop or, or how it's going to stop. It's, the, the sad point is that we don't know shit. Hmm. I think one of the things, if you get away from the statistics, it, like one of the obvious things is when you've seen or heard the the stories of how overrun hospitals, how overrun staff are in, you know, which what ha did happen in Wuhan in China and did happen and as is happening or appears to be happening in Italy and the fear of running out of beds. Now, well, so I, one thing I think is quite obvious, it, it, it is a condition that appears to spread very quickly and it does seem to affect enough that there are fears of running out of beds. So even if the percentages are wrong, the total volume number still could be very high. Yeah, sure, sure. A lot of people is dying. A lot of people will die for this situation. I'm not. I'm not saying that's untrue. But the problem is that the, uh, I mean, these you are talking about are not data. These are stories which are true, 
But even if they're true, they're not quantitative. They don't tell you how much. They tell you just that the, the, the intensive care units are overloaded, which is true. I don't doubt that. But it's not the first time that it happens in Italy again, right? It already happened several times. So if you ask, how more serious is the situation than when the same situation happened in 2016 or 2000? I mean, what's the quantitative difference? We don't have answer to this yet. And uh, of course, the, the medical the medical personnel uh, they, they are they are risking their lives in order to save lives. They will they will do what is obvious. They will just tell you what they see, what is closer to their reality, that which is the truth. They will tell you help. We we cannot we cannot manage this. We are overwhelmed. We are working too much. We are risking infection. We cannot take care of everybody. And this is the truth. Uh, but the point is that this is not really. A, this is not data. This is true story of somebody that you have to put in the context of how often did it happen in Italy? Several times. And uh, also, how much is this uh, worsened by the policy of uh, taking care of this virus uh, again? Which is not zero because, again, when you have to insulate everybody, your, uh, your ability to take care of everybody is decreased. And then you have the point, the point that I told you about my mother-in-law is interesting because a lot of people that was not going to put, be put in hospital two months ago will be put in, in hospital or they will try to put them in hospital now because now they know what the, uh, if, if an old woman is uh, having a, a difficulty to breathe in December, they just, the medical, the doctor just say, I mean, sorry, you are old, try to breathe. And, and uh, they will call the ambulance when you're really on the ground, passed out. Otherwise, they don't send anybody because they're old. And so they just expect it. But now, if you say, I have difficulty to breathe, oh, I, I have a name for this. This is COVID-19 infection. You go to the hospital if there is space. And also, as you said about yourself having these kind of symptoms, a lot, I mean, I don't underestimate the amount of people that will have more severe symptoms, that will uh, show up to the hospital for uh, um, psychological-generated uh, similar symptoms or exaggerated symptoms because they now they are now anxious and uh, and basically they are feeling something more that they should, like just like you say, because of suggestion. So, the, so yes, the uh, situation in the hospital is an objective factor that shows you an emergency. That's beyond, that's beyond any doubt. But it doesn't really show you that uh, this is an, a, a zombie apocalypse. It could be, I mean, it's nice to be prepared for a zombie apocalypse. I realized that we was not prepared because uh, all my stocks and weapons, they were in Switzerland, but my original family, it was in Ita Italy. So when I had the perfect chance to escape to my new country, I, I decided to get back to my to my where my parents are which is i mean i was not prepared right uh, my plan was was really was really not complete but uh, um, it's it's always good to prepare but uh, panic is never the answer and when you are in panic you always tend to act irrationally next up i talked to Giacomo more about covid-19 and centralized planning but before that I've got a message from my amazing sponsors. So first up, we have the mighty, mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell, or trade Bitcoin. But why? Why the fuck are they the best? Why should you be using them? Why are you not using them if you're not? Come on. They are consistently rated the best and, most importantly, 
the most secure cryptocurrency exchange. Whatever level your experience, Kraken has designed and built a streamlined Bitcoin exchange for newcomers and experts alike. Their platform provides world-class financial stability by maintaining full reserves, healthy banking relationships, and the highest standards of legal compliance. If you're going to trade Bitcoin, this is the kind of shit you need in place. They pair their global 24-7-365 live chat with an extensive support center to help ensure that your questions are answered and your needs are met around the clock, no matter who you are or where you are. And with their badass Kraken Pro mobile-first app, you can trade Bitcoin wherever you want. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. Find out more by heading over to Kraken.com or download the app, which is available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. And next up, we have BlockFi, the future of Bitcoin and financial services. And they made another announcement last week. They updated their interest accounts. Customers can now send USD wires direct to the platform and purchase Gemini dollars, GUSD, and begin earning up to 8.6% on USD-denominated assets. This is on top of their already market-leading crypto-backed loans and their interest accounts for Bitcoin, Ether, and GUSD. They've got so much coming up as well. They've got a mobile app coming. They've also got a Bitcoin sats back credit card coming, which I cannot wait to get. It's going to be a massive year for BlockFi. If you are interested in checking them out, if you're interested in using any of their services, you should do your own research. Then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. So in your estimation, how serious a situation do you think this is? Now, I think the situation is very severe and disastrous overall. So I don't think that the virus infection itself. So the virus infection in itself, why I completely agree about being over cautious and over precautious because it's an unknown. It's a possible exponential of the society is interconnected. So we have black death and we had uh, uh, Spanish flu. So don't mess around with this stuff because in a modern pandemic is uh, can be devastating but i don't think that it alone the i don't think we, we have the the uh, we have strong uh, um, clues that this stuff alone would have created a lot of disasters i think that the the way it has been managed by nation states in the in the last uh, 3 months made it an objective and uh, and uh, a reversible disaster that will kill a lot of those people. Basically, what they did was first hiding a new infection for a very long period, then telling people to ignore this infection, and now they are overreacting in a way that destroys completely destroys entire economies. Now, destroying entire economies can seem like a completely unrelated topic. Like, yeah, you are poor, but now you are healthy. But that's not the case because with an economy destroyed, guess what? Who is going to pay for intensive care unit if you don't have money to pay for intensive care unit? Uh, the okay. government. But the government is taking this money from people working. And if people is not working, the government doesn't have the money. They have to print it. But if they print it, it's worthless unless there is an economy that actually absorb inflation. So it's not unrelated. A scarcity is a reality of life. So uh, when there is a, an outbreak of some infection, there is a scarcity of medical resources. You cannot think that destroying an economy will not make the shortage of a, a healthcare even worse. Of course, it, it would be a little bit unfair to completely put the, the, the economic crisis that I think will be 
terrible and probably irreversible and probably the most serious we have, we have seen in centuries on coronavirus. I think that this was a trigger. The, uh, uh, the, finance, the, the fiat finance world was ready for a collapse. It just needed the pin. The bubble was there. You just needed the pin. The, the pin was going to be 9-11 in 2001, but then they recovered. Then it became a um, subprime mortgage in 2008, 2007. Then it, it, it somehow recovered, printing a lot of money, but it's still unsustainable. It's like, again, you have your, uh, your, your junkie friend, which is an addict. He will take more drugs and more drugs. And every time he seems to recover from withdrawal syndromes, but just because he's taking more doses and more doses, and eventually he will OD. So this is the coronavirus crisis is the pin. I think that the explosion of the bubble has been made worse by the, the political action of, uh, for example, China, Italy, uh, and World Health Organization and stuff like that. I think we, have, we see some example of, let's say, very shy uh, behavior, which is like United States and, and UK, which is like, let's not do anything, which I think is better than destroying everything. I mean, it's not true that doing nothing is always worse than doing something. If what you're doing is bad, doing nothing is better. But there are some few virtuous examples, for example, again, I don't want to praise the national state, I hate the national states, but <laughs> Korea, South Korea, Singapore, and Hong Kong, they, they I mean, being national states, they are, they are violating some human rights, and that's, okay, that's a given, but they behave in a very uh, proportionate way, and they're having way, way better results than, than others because the population is better informed without, uh, without the, the secret police coming to your home to kidnap you because you're spreading information. So there is transparency. There is information. The numbers are discussed. There is, no, there is no anybody coming to your home to, to arrest you if you, are not, if you don't agree. So there, we have some examples of, uh, of uh, reasonable and uh, rational reaction. Of course, this, the, 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 the health, the, the virus problem is so global that there will not be any kind of single system that will be better off at the end. I mean, even if you completely, I mean, if you, if you are perfectly managing the, 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 the crisis in South Korea, but then you continue to have out, uh, infection coming from China, it's not, it's not a solution until you have a vaccine or something. And the same goes for the economic crisis. Even if you behave responsibly, if the world economy collapses, the, the way the world economy works now with the interconnection of the supply chain, think about electronics. I mean, you cannot think that China goes down and United States goes down and you keep, keep going. That's, that's not the case. That doesn't work. Yeah, so that's an interesting one on the economic side of things because if if you lock down a city or you lock down a town and you manage to uh, eradicate COVID-19 from that city as soon as you open up the city again you have the chance of the condition um, the disease expanding again and that was what the chief scientific officer in the UK was saying this morning he said actually what we need is a like a herd infection to actually develop some kind of immunity to it because as soon as it's gone and we open up uh, movement and trade again, it's just going to come back. It's almost like coronavirus will itself become a seasonal flu and it will never completely go. So I, I'm sometimes I'm, I'm looking at this and thinking, I'm kind of weighing it up saying, 
yes, I understand they want to protect people. I understand they want to stop old people getting this or uh, overrun the hospitals. But at the same time, we're going to have a huge economic shock. And for what? Because if it's just going to keep coming back, but I don't know the answer. It feels like a lose-lose. It feels like whatever choice you make, it's a very difficult decision and there's likely negative outcomes. Sure. I will, I will urge you to consider, though, that the situation is not symmetric. So uh, if you mm. don't know the answer, so you see a trade-off, right? Uh, you can either uh, stop it but destroy the economy or stop it but then it's useless because it comes back again. But on the other hand, if you don't, if you don't contain it, you will have uh, overwhelmed the national care system and so you will have people dying for a lack of care. So you have a trade-off. But when you don't know which where to go and when you, see, when you see a symmetric problem, then if you are acting for yourself and your family and your company, you decide one way and you go. But if you are playing with the life of millions of people, when you are in doubt, the rational thing is actually doing nothing. So doing something is not... Uh, something that you can afford to experiment because the problem is that in big complex systems when you are when you are, we are playing with uh, when you are playing like toys with uh, the lives of millions you don't have f uh, uh, feedbacks so you don't have a feedback loop so in your family you can decide your strategy then either you die or you adapt because your strategy was stupid and then you adapt. In a complex system with millions of people, you cannot really have feedback because you don't have the information in a centralized way. So you cannot decide for one and then for the other and adjust. You can't adjust. You will, you will uh, emanate an act, an order, and bureaucrats and cops, they will blindly enact this order, but they will be unable to do that because some of these orders are unenforceable. So any kind of uh, any kind of lockdown, you will have people scared escaping the lockdown inevitably, and you will have some some local bureaucrats giving special privilege to himself and his family. So it's like this is a control freak illusion or delusion. Uh, you cannot control. In a, in a strict way, complex systems of millions of people. And if you don't have a, a clear path forward, then the answer is actually, it looks like stupid. The answer is doing nothing, but not doing nothing, everybody. Doing nothing, the central planner uh, pl playing with millions of lives. And doing something, and maybe doing a lot, single, uh, smaller, more agile social groups like uh, hospitals, doctors, people, families, social groups. So it's not that we should do nothing. Central planners should do nothing. We have plenty to do in a lot of different ways. But but outside of central planning, what should we be doing? Because, again, look, uh, you, you've definitely in the past shifted my thinking. You've completely shifted my thinking on Brexit. You've shifted my thinking a lot on you know, government central planning and uh, that we would be better with more decentralized governance, you know, local uh, politicians that we vote for over national politicians and national politicians over European politicians. You definitely shifted a lot of my thinking on that. Uh, I do struggle with the full anarcho-capitalistic view of no state. I, I, I do really struggle with that. And I've got, yeah, that's a story for another day. But without some form of central planning, what actually happens? Because it feels like, especially as I've seen kind of the footage inside you know, Italian hospitals, and I've seen the fact that they're now using chapels because so many are dying and they're, you know the, the numbers they're dealing with, I do struggle with 
is is this really also part of Giacomo's uh, hate for central planning, hate for governments, and just anything they do, you're going to hate? And I do wonder whether actually this is one of those scenarios where it does require some form of central planning. Uh, I think this may be a, a false dilemma because if you have on one side an imperfect decentral planning of a bottom-up process of people deciding for themselves, on the other hand, you have a perfect central planning of people that really know what to do and they have the incentives to do it right, then there is no doubt that in some situation, central planning is better. If you plan the right thing, then central planning is better. Central planning is faster, more efficient, and especially in, uh, in emergencies, uh, you don't have the time for coordination of small little parts. So if you, if you are certain that the central planner will always be smart and, and, and just, or, or most of the time smart and just, then sometimes I would say go for central planning. The problem in modern democracy is that we see with, with, this, with this crisis, these guys really don't know what they're doing. The democratic process doesn't select for competence, doesn't select for honesty. If anything, we have strong evidence from, from uh, uh, public choice theory that it does select for the exact opposite around, for sociopaths and, uh, and for charlatans. So uh, the problem with central planning is not that uh, a smart guy will not be able to faster coordinate everybody into something right. The problem is that we don't have a, a sound process in place to select these, uh, these superhumans. They probably don't exist. So uh, what you have is not perfect center planning versus imperfect center planning. Uh, it's imperfect center planning versus imperfect center planning. And so the, the, the second always wins, not because uh, there is never a case for centralization, but because there is never a case for unresponsible, unaccountable, all-powerful po all centralization. In a company, for example, so a company is centralized. Uh, in a company, you don't have a lot of workers and they go around in the market and say, I can do this, you can do that, let's, let's negotiate the price every time. No, a company is an island in which people stop uh, doing uh, bottom-up bottom uh, uh, decentralization and they centralize over one coordination because coordination is good and centralization is good. But in a company, if it starts to fail, people have very few costs to opt out and join another organization. So you have a strong feedback from, from the reality. With politics, with the modern nation states, you don't have this feedback. So it's not about uh, uh, lack of central planning. It's that we don't have the tools for rational and and well-incentivized central planning. Okay. If you were the central planner, what would you have done differently here? So let's use Via Negativa. I am a central, I am, I am a, the, 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 the president of uh, whatever, uh, Via Negativa. So the government in most of the Western world, but even in the Eastern world at, at this point, basically is forcing every kid to go into a Petri dish of cross-infection of everything every day. So far, only for schools and high schools. But actually, for example, in Italy, they were just passing a law. It's very ironic. They were passing a law three months ago to make uh, kindergarten mandatory because we live in a society. So kindergarten must be mandatory. So that was the uh, the nation states are doing. They are forcing uh, kids of every age uh, up to 17 or 18 to uh, stay all the time in something which is completely unnatural, which is a selection of a huge number of people of the same age. So disrupting the natural order of, of, of kids 
working and playing with kids of other age and learning from each other. So you have these homologated classes, which are very bad, I think, for culture, but they're also very, very bad for disease prevention because basically you are creating petri dishes. Uh, so uh, I am a central planner. One thing I really like about all this stuff is I close down schools, not really private. If you really want to go to school, go. But I closed down compulsory uh, central overpopulated schooling. Uh, it's interesting because now that the schools are closing everywhere, basically, and the reaction to these are very, very telling. Like people is protesting with are protesting with politicians not because their kids are not educated. They're protesting because they don't know where to put their kids and how to give them lunches. So uh, what is school? It's just a parking for kids in a society that cannot really manage them properly anymore. So I would close down schools. Also, a lot of... Uh, a lot hold of on, are you, saying you were, are you saying you would close down schools because that's your, outside of coronavirus, that's your belief um, issue with centralised schooling? Sure. I mean, it's the other way around, yeah, right? Yeah, but, but that's not that's not answering the question I, I actually want to ask. You know, in, in, because I actually believe in schooling. I don't think it's a perfect system, but my kids are at good school and I think it offers a, a, a lot of benefits. But let's. I just want to get outside of... Giacomo's world of hating central planning and governments. You know, if you were brought in by the government now, and they said, and Conte said, "Look, Giacomo, I need your help here. Like, what, what, what the fuck do we do here? Like, in terms of response to coronavirus, in terms of what would you do? Not, not, not peppered with your other beliefs. But, but it's it's impossible for me to answer because it's uh, I I don't segregate logical thinking. If logical thinking tells me that I, that that something is reasonable, something is not, I cannot really force myself into being partially irrational. I mean, uh, uh, I think that's a I think that's a cop out. We call that a cop out in the UK. What does it I mean? think you're copying out of the answer. It means you're um you're avoiding answering the question because it's it, it's. A lot, a lot of people are going to be happy with their kids in school and want them to use schooling, and, so, and that's a deli- different belief they have from you in terms of whether they want centralised schooling or not. I'm talking about, do you think, in terms of, uh, if the government wanted to reduce the spread or the speed and spread of coronavirus because they're worried about people dying or they're worried about schools being, o- uh, sorry, hospitals being overrun? What are the decisions you would make? Uh, so, uh, yeah, more in general, let's let, let's avoid schools. In general, I think that governments, modern governments, are taking a lot of action to force and push for uh, extreme physical promiscuity. Another example could be like punishing private cars in favor of public transportation because environment. So I I, I ban private cars or or I fine private cars because I want everybody to go in this very democratic. So I will stop this kind of interferences so that people is free to go back to use more private insulated uh, kind of uh, transportations and and stuff like that. Second thing, since a lot of people look up to the government in order to receive uh, good information, I would just try to to provide good and honest and transparent information, which is basically something that no government at all ever did because first they minimize, they, 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 they lie in order to minimize, and then they lie in order to maximize the effect of their reaction. So uh, I would just 
try to be do you, honest. Do you think ever? Do you think? But do you think that's all of them? Because I, I don't. I, you know, I think despite my uh, misgivings about him, I thought Boris Johnson did a, a good job in the UK yesterday. Not, you know, I don't think the UK's reaction is perfect, but these are like really tough decisions. But you know, he came out and said, "I'm, I'm going to level with you." you know, some of your family are going to die and they're going to die before their time because of this. I, I, I struggle to say that every single government, every situation is just lying to minimize. I think they I, perhaps don't yeah. know what they're dealing with. You, you're right. This is like, uh, the, there is this tradition. I think it's, it's very it's very typical of the UK. Like in, you know, famous Churchill talks, famous yeah. Queen talks, about a, 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 a government guy telling hard truth to the population like uh, the function of of a government like uh, there is something that you have to know but nobody really wants to to tell you that and so we will centralize that kind of responsibility and we'll tell you how things are going which is something that i think boris johnson did as well and it's i think it's good because it's it's a helps this the spread and the elaboration of information Uh, people can research they can decide but they have not been told everything is right everything is fine Everything is over. They have been told people will die more than than yesterday. Some because of this virus. Some because of the economical collapse everywhere. So the, the, things will be bad. This is a this is a good thing. I agree with you. And this is something that if you really have to have a nation state, at least you can have one that doesn't lie to you, which is a, a plus. <laughs> yeah, you can see. I still don't think we've got to a point of what should be done differently. You know, should we be having some form of central planning to try and lock down areas, or should we just be allowing people to continue as they choose, but giving them the the advice? So, for example, I took it into my own hands to say to my father, "Look, Dad, you smoke, you have bronchitis, you have asthma, you're seventy two. If you get coronavirus." Yeah, you'll probably have a, a, a higher chance, a higher probability of dying than most people. So just go and get some food in and perhaps lock yourself away. And he's done that, right? And that is our choice to do that. But if people choose not to do that, they are essentially putting other people at risk by allowing the spread of the disease. So I, what I can't decide is that you know, part of me has got this like Bitcoiner, libertarian, anarcho-capitalist on my shoulder saying, stop pointing your guns at people and telling them what they can and can't do. Stop ruining the economy. Let people make their own choices. But the other side is saying, well, look, we're all in this together. You know, if we get this wrong, we all contribute to the spread. It might lead to more people dying. And this maybe is one of those scenarios where even if you don't like the central planners, I think you do need central planning. Uh, the problem is this, I mean, I understand that this reasoning is flawed because if I try to apply it consistently, it falls apart. So I, I often use other examples and people get pissed because they say, now you are changing the you are changing the topic, you are changing the goalpost. I'm not. I'm trying to show you what happens if I use this kind of reasoning consistently uh, uh, across all the data that I have. So are you, if, you, if there is a disease and you get out and talk with other people and, and kiss somebody, are you putting other people at risk? Answer, yes. We don't know how much. We don't know of what. Because it's the same thing that you're doing when you drive a car. When you drive a car, you are putting other people's life at risk. When you when you take a, uh, when you do everything, basically, you're, you're, uh, with the cow's theory says that, physically speaking, you working in a park can cause uh, directly, causally, some uh, hurricane in Florida killing people. The point is that when 
we are able to identify the causal chain in a way that you can be uh, reasonably sure to prevent damage if you behave differently, then it's your responsibility. But when all we have is just random estimation, and some of these are random estimation are maybe more famous or more uh, uh, mediatically viral than others, but the point is that scientifically they are all on the same ground. Uh, we don't know uh, how much damage you as an individual are doing. And if you don't know, you cannot uh, trial somebody for damage. So uh, the, the point of, of a fair trial is that I have to prove intention, knowledge, and, and causal uh, chain between the action and the damage or somebody is somebody else's property or personal right. And in this case, you can apply the same. If you try to apply consistently this reasoning for the virus and for uh, driving and for everything else, you literally cannot allow anybody to do anything. And the, the point that the most powerful people in the world become uh, whatever organization or committee is in charge of deciding the, the very, very complex and subtle estimation of this uh, risk uh, proportion. This is not like a, a simple science like mechanics. You have a pendulum, you have a weight, you have a mass, and you just calculate. This is a super complex exponential growth dynamic network effects, whatever, uh, mess uh, around statistical data interpretation. So there is not a clear connection. So uh, do you want to give power of life or and death uh, on committees that are going to guess some kind of causal model? You don't. So you allow people to drive, even if possibly some of them will kill somebody. Then you, as I know it's imperfect, but this is another form of decentralization. When you act uh, ex post, on the problem after there is a victim, so the, the, the victimful crime where somebody did kill somebody else with a car, and now you start a trial, and now you try to understand if he knew, if he didn't knew, this is less efficient, this is frictionful, slow, but this is better than try to punish ex ante everybody from the center uh, with the, like a, you know, like a minority report, uh, pre-police or future police, I don't remember the, the name, that, that doesn't work. If you try to do that consistently, you create the worst possible nightmare of society you can imagine. Yeah, but I, I understand that argument for, for certain things. I think the analogy with to some of those scenarios with this coronavirus is that we're actually dealing with an extreme circumstance, something that is very different. Like, I understand the argument for saying, well, people die in car crashes. You know, we have to accept that. We can't just say you can't drive or you have to use public transport. But we're, we're in a very extreme situation here where then perhaps hundreds of thousands, maybe millions would die with, with inaction. But and we don't know. We don't know. We, we, but, we, I mean, but can we wait long enough to for for the actual statistics? Because I think you can. Sometimes I think with these situations, even without the statistics, you can visually observe what's happening. Happening. Sure. We're visually observing, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, accelerating death rates, and the death rate is one that I'm uh, the number I'm always happy to look at because. Yeah. Okay. You might say, look, there was somebody in a car crash who had coronavirus. I, I don't think that's a statistically significant part of the numbers, but, but I think the accelerated death numbers are, are scary. Uh, they are scary, but it's not. I mean, life is scary. I'm not denying that this is a very scary crisis. I'm denying that this is the only scary crisis that we. I mean, the the, the your your appeal to emergency assumes that somehow you will not have other comparable emergencies soon and you will not you are not facing similar emergencies now 
but people are I'm not dying. saying we won't but uh, but I'm not saying we won't uh, like and I think if they happen again you know how will we approach this but this feels like this might be the most significant event in my whole lifetime in terms of the impact on the world, the the, the impact on media, the impact on life, the impact on the but economy. Peter, Peter, how it's, many people died? Uh, this this is not, doesn't mean to mean a cynic question, just a yeah, realistic no, question. How many people died of this virus do you even know? Because for me, it's zero. And so for me, this zero is the... at present. At present. So at present, this is the most impactful political event ever in my life as well. I have never been arrested and sequestrated in my own home. Never happened. And this happened with still zero sanitary impact. I'm not saying that it cannot become 100 or 200 or 1,000. What I'm saying is that if you want to use extreme measures, you have to go at extreme length to explain me and convince me that this really is it. We c I cannot tolerate that. I mean, what I see as a difference between, between uh, uh, SARS and MERS and this is basically mostly the mediatic reaction. Uh, Ebola is a fucking scary virus. The good, the good thing is that it's very, very slow to transfer, even because you have this trade-off. Every time a virus is very, very good at killing people, he's very, very bad at spreading. And every time a virus is very, very good at spreading, of course, is very, very bad at, at, at killing people. So this is the same. This virus is most more evil it kills more people than, than 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 usual flu, less people than MERS and SARS, but since it kills less people than MERS and SARS, it spreads more. So I, I see the evidence for which this is scary and this is an emergency and this is important and this is not a joke and this is not a hoax. What I don't see is the emergency to climb that this is something that should suspend any kind of previously used uh, social assumption, uh, heuristic dynamic, or, or 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 social contract. So you you think we should have just carried on as per normal, but given people better advice in terms of you know if you're over seventy, you may want to isolate yourself. You know some of the advice in terms of hygiene, but we should have just gone on as normal, business as normal. I mean, you asked me what I would do as a central planner. I was a central planner together with my wife for my family. I did central plan my family. And we decided to central plan our family by insulating the, the oldest and, and weakest people of the family immediately. Then we decided to insulate the youngest and, and weakest. Then we uh, we decided to basically, we, we wash everything, uh, hands, uh, uh, we sanitize, we use masks. So we, we are, uh, we are, centrally planning an overreaction, which is a conscious overreaction. It's like, we know that this is a bit paranoid, but guys, better safe than sorry. This is something new, so we don't know where it's going. But what we, we didn't know was suspending rationality and claiming that this is something that will change every everything of our ethic convictions. I mean, I'm not going to shoot people on the street if I don't know that they are really for sure that they are putting me at risk. So that it doesn't change your ethical assumption. It doesn't change your ability to look at numbers rationally, calmly, without panic, because panic is not good. Caution is good. Mm -hmm. Overcaution is good. But panic is just something, panic was developed, evolutionary, to fight or flight from lions in the savanna. If you see a lion in the savanna, you should either collapse, faking your death, or run very, very fast. But there are very few 
few things in the modern world that are as simple as a lion chasing your savanna. Most people are more, most things are more complex. And for complex people, your 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 lizard brain with this panic reaction is really really inefficient and really really unreliable. So don't use that and use and use this kind of uh, of rationality instead. That said. This is what we have done for the primary risk, which is the virus. The problem is now, uh, I think that this, this risk, while still serious, is the least on my uh, concern right now, because uh, probably people very close to me already lost their job and they will never recover them for months. And I have people close to me having mental breakdowns because they are scared by the situation which is happening. And I know that uh, the economic situation in the world was already a bubble ready to burst. So now I think that what you're saying with the stock exchange, I mean, this is bad. And even if I don't think the virus itself could have, uh, could have brought the world to Mad Max situation, I will give a non-zero probability that, uh, that the economic scenario will bring to that in independently in a way, but using the virus as a trigger. So now my, uh, I would say that 60% of my concern and preparation and cautious is about uh, like uh, prepping for food, medicines, uh, movement, uh, try to understand how can I get back to Switzerland and when, when is the best moment, when not, who I can bring with me and who not. So uh, guns, of course. So uh, I, I am an apocalyptic guy. I just don't think that I will. I, I mean, I, I can really bet some some satoshis with you. I don't. I, I think that I may die by police hand more likely than by uh, coronavirus uh, lit tentacles. Yeah, but I, yeah, I, I would agree with that bet though because I don't think you're going to die from coronavirus because of your age. Uh, that, that yeah. Do you know? I think one of the other problems here is Giacomo is that you are like a free, independent thinker. Have you know? the kind of political views that some people don't even know they can have, but some people don't even consider of a world of no government. They're so conditioned to the state that they believe there will be one. It'll either be a left, left-wing left state, a right-wing state, or a centrist state, and it will just sway between these. And therefore, when something like this happens, they're conditioned to expect a response. And no, no response will likely lead to some kind of reaction. Whatever happens, there's going to be a reaction. You, are, you, you know, whether you believe they've underreacted or overreacted, everyone else is going to believe whether someone's underreacted or overreacted. If suddenly the NHS is overrun and lots of people are dying, people are going to say they underreacted. And therefore, the governments have to have some kind of response because they are run by people who want to maintain power. They want to, uh, they want to keep their jobs. They want to stay in power as a government. So we're not in everybody nobody else well very very few people in a in a world where they're rationalizing this in a way that say you are sure do you think that's a fair yeah, no, I, yeah it's fair i don't think this is a, this is a first in the human history i mean uh, how many people before the abolition of slavery how many people would even think a world without slavery without systematic uh, uh, African uh, slavery in uh, cotton fields in America was possible. If you read the, the debates between abolitionists and other people, other people were like, but even smart people and, and, and fair people like Jefferson and others, they were answering, guys, you are right theoretically, but then there is the reality. Reality is that uh, it always went like this, and it will probably, nothing could work without this. You cannot really abolish slavery in the cotton camps. It's, it's just impossible. It cannot happen. And uh, so it's it's normal, and it can it can it can last for uh, centuries. Maybe uh, I will maybe I will 
uh, I will spend my days without uh, seeing anything changing, and it will change later. Uh, same stuff for religions. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not really uh, that adversarial toward religions as as a, as a typical uh, free thinker is uh, today, which is very uh, homologated uh, kind of thinking anyway. But uh, uh, the, if you think about religion and you think, if you see, if you see a religion and you think it's crazy. You have to realize that there have been people that were in majority uh, incapable to think outside of that paradigm for centuries and sometimes millenniums. I mean, uh, ancient Egypt, they were they were basically creating pyramids for uh, taking the soul of the pharaoh. What the fuck? But still, yeah, a lot of people can be wrong for a lot of time. Let's say it like this. I don't think that we should ignore what most people say because that would be just arrogant. If, if everybody thinks something, you should listen and you should factor that into your decision because that's a social heuristic. So if everybody says that, maybe there is a reason. Let's try to understand the reason. But when you face a clear contradiction and, and you have logic on one side and popular opinion on the other side, popular opinion doesn't really hold any anymore. Uh, you have to keep considering that for your personal choices because if you are the only one, I mean, you know, for example, that Bitcoin is going to succeed. Nobody else knows, so you act and you buy. But if you think that, if you know that the, the Soviet Union will collapse, and nobody else thinks that, but it collapsed after eight years from, from your time, then there's nothing that you can do to leverage, to speculate on that. So, I mean, even if I'm right, I could die while everybody thinks I'm wrong. And I'm, it's okay. <laughs> well don't die it's a it's an interesting debate because i guess I, I guess i have to come to the conclusion despite the insults that come with it i am i guess i'm a statist because i can't picture the world of no state but i definitely like you know, eric Voorhees said to me once he said it doesn't matter you don't it doesn't have to be binary it's about a trajectory towards less state absolutely less government that's a good thing and that's an achievable target and i do like that and i do follow that but i do at some points i struggle with the whole concept of no state and i sometimes think central planning may be better i think in this scenario it may be it certainly I certainly see the arguments that it infringes upon freedoms. And so, it is the men with guns telling you what you can and can't do. And people are going to lose their companies, and it is terrible. But I also struggle with the the, the logic of, of inaction or just relying on, on people to follow advice. I don't know. I'm I'm a little bit confused. I'm I'm weighing it all up. It's okay. Anyway, you, you are a statist, but that's just the that's just the default. So I'm not. Uh, I'm I'm more I'm more nasty with uh, people pretending to be libertarian than being inconsistent. I know a lot of people. Well, I threw I threw myself into libertarianism. I did, and I've I've spoke to a lot of people, and and I just I realized I'm not there. But I, you know, when people talk about you know they're shit coiners and they say. You say your thing is uh, it's not decentralized. They're like decentralization is a spectrum. I think for me, statism is a spectrum. I, like I am not a full statist. I am certainly somebody who look. I'm on the spectrum because if my house gets robbed, I'm going to call the police. If my house is on fire, I'm going to call the fireman. If I get ill, I'm going to go to the hospital. But I have a lot of problems with it, and I do like a lot of the libertarian ideals of a f of free markets. I, I do want less government. So I think I'm on a spectrum. I think that you you may not have the couple two things right right now yet. One thing is that state is not organization. 
or voluntary central planning. You can have very high level of organization, hierarchy, coordination, uh, community without having violent, aggressive violence over other people's property. So some people think that the, uh, the anarchism or, or no state means that everything that we associate with the state, which is the monopoly of uh, healthcare, weapons, and coordination, means that we will not have any more healthcare, weapons, or coordination, which is not what more libertarians are saying. What we are saying is there will be uh, force and defense there will be coordination, even multinational, I mean, not national, but even global coordination, even very strong coordination, just not based on aggressive violence. And the other, the other part, the other uh, red herring may be that while the first thing we, we can have coordination which are without the state is, uh, is, I think is true. The second thing we can have zero violence is not really true. Is is just a is just a, a direction, just like Eric said. It's it's a so uh, the point is that think about health, which is now very uh, very uh, I mean in the news. Do you think you are a doctor? You want to eradicate diseases? Do you really believe in a world without diseases? The honest answer of a doctor would be no. Even if I er eradicate the, these, some 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 other disease will come. I very few doctors believe in a health forever without any kind of mortality or disease. Most of doctors, they know that you always have some level of disease. Sometimes, practically, you will have to accept the, the less serious disease in order to fight the more serious disease, which is fine for a libertarian. What is not fine is that you never see a doctor cheering for a disease. So the, the short circuit in the status mind is, since I cannot imagine a world which is completely healthy without disease, then yeah, go diseases, just infect me. That's not, that's, that's the, the logical leap. You accept that some amount of violence will always exist. And you know that the subset of this violence will be organized violence, like mafia. And you will know that probably for many centuries and since many centuries, a subset of mafias are called nation states. It's not that you have to either pretend they don't exist or they go away forever or accept that as something good. You can still think that's bad, and you can still think that you should reduce it every time it's possible. And of course, if you ask me a question like a magical... I agree with that, though. Yeah, okay. So you're not that status. You, you are, I mean, I'm status too at that point. I know that nation states exist, and I know that it is unlikely to have them disappearing very, very soon. And I know that even if they don't exist, some other kind... I mean, in Somalia, you don't have the state. You have uh, warlords and uh, Islamic courts. And they are acting violence, just like the state before. So uh, what mm -hmm. I think is wrong is to assume that if you make peace with the worst evil, then you are keeping at bay other unknown evils. So it's like, uh, please don't fight AIDS because we don't know what kind of scary diseases can arrive. It's like, please don't find the vaccine of coronavirus because if you do, we, we know that some other disease will come and we don't know what kind of scary decentralized disease. So it's better to have this very strong bit disease, keep it cheered and, 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 and push it and promote it and defend it because otherwise there is chaos. I think this is the, the fallacy. Uh, we, we, we do not expect to eradicate violence, but we are able to see uh, and to say that violence is wrong and violence is ethically wrong and economically long-term destructive. And that's, and that's not a dogma. That's reason applied to reality. Okay.
in time, I mean, my trajectory is becoming less statist. I would say directionally, I'm uh, becoming less statist, but I'm, I'm still not there. But look, look, this is it's useful to get your views on this. I don't agree with you 100%. I think, I think in some points, your political ideas are mixed in with things. But, it's, but that's, uh, that's a bit, I think that's, I mean, I will, I will stop here with my defense, but I, I don't buy this argument. I, I think I may be wrong, but it's not like my <laughs> political thinking is interfering. I created my political, it's not that I have been assigned a political thinking at birth and now I'm rationalizing it. I choose my political conviction as a consequences of my, of my arguments. So no, I understand it's that. really the other way around. No, I understand that. I just think perhaps, I don't know. I, I think probably it's like I'm I'm a bit more, I think I'm a bit more practical about where we are and what we're dealing with in terms of like the the government reactions and whereas you're like, just close the schools because we should get rid of the schools anyway. And I, I don't think that kind of answers the, the question of how we deal with the current problem. But it's, it's not like a huge criticism. Um, you know, I come to you to learn anyway, so... Yeah, I'm not very practical, I know that. <laughs> All right, man. Well, how long are you on lockdown for? We don't know. Um, I, I, it's very hard to predict because uh, the, um, the disposition says uh, until uh, the middle of April, but it's, uh, it's basically something that will be reviewed. I mean, it's really a psychological question more than the, the, the biological mm. one. If they think they really can contain it like this, then uh, if people think that it is working, they will ask for more. But then where really nobody is working anymore, there is literally no money anymore and hospitals are going down because there's no money, then they will ask to open. So what I'm afraid of will be another pendulum from this is nothing, this is just a flu, to please we want China Communist Party here, to uh, we were wrong, let's open everything again and, and what the fuck, try to get the economy back very, very fast with uh, stimulus or something. So uh, I'm scared about pendulums. And, uh, and I don't know, I, I know that I, well, I cannot say that this on a podcast, but let's say that I think I have reason, a reasonable expectation to be able to leave Italy with my family if uh, I really need it. Well, fingers crossed then. Well, I'm sure we'll talk again. Listen, I'll keep checking on on you. Say hello to, say hello to the good woman for me as well. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure when I'll see you next because we don't know when we're going to any event. We don't know what's happening. So I guess uh, it might be I here. I think it will be bad. It, I think you will see something because, uh, yeah, the, I mean, the people will start to, to die for pneumonia as well because that's an unavoidable. And uh, people was already dying for pneumonia probably since a few months, but uh, it was still not really realized and it will get worse. And also the political and economical consequence will hit Great Britain as well. I mean, this is a very interconnected system. So we will have very, very rough months in the future and, and you as well. Yeah. So let's, let's just... Hope that the internet connection works as as long as that works. We can stay in touch. We can still. <laughs> well, listen, look, all the best. Always appreciate your time. Love talking to you, Giacomo, and the best for the family. Thank you very much. Greetings for everything. All right. What did you think of that one? That was a that was a good one for me. I enjoyed that. I always like talking to Giacomo. Yeah, we don't always agree. Actually, we disagree a lot. He gets really pissed off with me and sometimes blocks me. But usually we can talk it through and he explains his side. And I've definitely learned a lot from him, especially with Brexit. He taught me a lot about Brexit. He taught me a lot about decentralized governance. And he definitely changed my opinion with that. With this, I'm not with him 100%. I do worry that if we had no kind of centralized planning, that maybe the spread 
of the virus would be worse. Maybe more people would get sick. Maybe more people would die. Now, I to understand the argument that well why does anyone get to stand there with a gun and tell me where i can go and you know that is an infringement on freedom i do get that but at the same time these are strange times a lot of people are getting sick a lot of people are dying i don't know if this is the the time that i want to have the full argument about libertarianism and freedom i I just want people to not get sick and i want people to to not die so it's a very strange one would definitely be interested in the feedback on this I would be very interested in any libertarians who feel like, do you know what, actually, I think in this scenario, we kind of need the state. Maybe that isn't. Maybe that's completely wrong. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed it. Any questions, you can always reach out to me. And as I said in my intro, have you checked out my first film yet? It's available on the Defiance TV YouTube page. You can access that from whatbitcoindid.com or defiance.news. I'd love to get your feedback on that. It's me out in Colombia looking at the Venezuelan crisis. Anyway, hope you find this show interesting. Got any questions? It's hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Do reach out to me. Also, thank you to everyone who supports the show, especially right now. It's going to be very, very strange times over the next few months. I'm going to probably be working from home doing a lot more remote interviews, which I don't love doing. But if you do want to support the show, if you're like, Pete, I love what you're doing, please go to my website. It's whatbitcoindid.com. There is a support page. It will explain everything you can do to help. Stay safe out there, people. Love you all. Speak to you soon. Bye.